welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We, uh, we started a church study series. If you don't have one of these, uh, be happy to get one into your hands. There are some in Fellowship Hall, and it's six-week study that we're doing together, and we're concentrating on what it means to be a United Methodist in the realm of discipleship. And so it's called A Disciple's Path, and uh, I want to start this whole series off. This Sunday is kind of about what is it all about? What is it to be a disciple as a United Methodist? Uh, I want to tell you a story. How many, how many of you have ever played or did play or do play in a school band? All right, come on. I know the band folks are proud. So what, uh, what kind of instruments did you play? Clarinet? Oboe? Saxophone. Oh, my goodness, Sheila. And flute. She's a one-woman band. What other instruments? Any others? Flute? Trumpet? Tenor saxophone. And some people are going, wait, there's more than one type of saxophone. Oh, awesome. So apparently you play one, you can play them all is what we're learning. No, I know that's not the case. I can't even get a sound out of a, of a reed instrument. I played the French horn for exactly one year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all these instruments we've lifted up, they all make different sounds. You play them differently. They have different tones. I mean, a flute and a clarinet and an oboe and a saxophone, a tenor saxophone, they, trumpets, they all have different sounds. You can play the same note and it will sound different, which is kind of, kind of neat. I don't know who invented all these instruments or how many things they invented that didn't end up working out because some of them are pretty funky in their shape. I played the French horn. Um, you gather all these together and the goal is, with the conductor's help, you play something that sounds recognizable. That's my, that was my sixth grade band experience. And then you go and get into the college age, and you're talking about not just playing stuff that's recognizable, but stuff that's unbelievable that a school band is playing. Um, but it takes a lot of work and cooperation to, to get to that point. And I, playing the French horn, you may not know that the French horn's F is not actually an F. And I know that sounds weird, but you have to, when you play an F on a French horn, it actually comes out as a B flat, I think, if I'm correct. This makes no sense to me. If it sounds like a B flat, then it is a B flat, amen? Except it's not. It's weird. And I sat between baritones and trumpets. And when I was learning how to play, trying to follow and listen to what they are playing is a nightmare because they're playing different things at different times. They're not, they, it works for the, for the listener. But for someone following along trying to play the French horn, it was, it was hard. I had to stop listening to them and just focus on what I needed to do and follow the conductor. And that was a, that was a hard transition for me. Um, if you listened to just the baritone or you listened to just the trumpets, it sounded like two different songs until you put them together. So concentrating on what I had to play was important. And I want to lift that up because it's not much different with the church. We're all different. We sound different. Sometimes we think we're playing a particular note and it comes out a little different. Amen? 
The goal that we have for this whole discipleship study for the church and for our life together as a community is to get us all on the same path, even if we get on the same path in different ways. We have the same mission as United Methodists. Say it with me. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Yeah, I gave you help. Aren't you glad? Some important words in there. Disciples, transformation, and world. Now, I am going to bet that we don't all agree about what those words mean, or we might approach them a little differently. So even in our United Methodist shared tradition, there's going to be differences. But if we can get on the same page and play our part, trusting that everyone else will play theirs, we're going to make music, if you follow the metaphor, music that will impact people, touch them, transform them. It will be heard by the world and our community and it will transform us in the process. This is, what, this is what we mean when we talk about discipleship. So what is our song? What makes us United Methodists? Because I know some of you didn't grow up United Methodist. In fact, some of you are members of the United Methodist Church, but you still kind of operate as maybe what you grew up with, and that's normal. Every denomination uses words like path, disciple, discipleship, grace. But what do they mean to us in our heritage? We are United Methodists, yes? That's who we are. This congregation has been United Methodist or been Methodist for 150 years. That's a long time. It all stems from the Methodist movement and John Wesley that he founded and created. And so how we use these words matters. Now, a Baptist, a Catholic, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, an independent church, they all use these words and in different ways, and that's great. But it is important that we know how we use these words. It's important that we know what they mean for us so that we can put them into practice together and in our different notes and seemingly different movements all follow our main conductor in our practice of faith. So we all want the same thing here, yes? We all want to experience life with God or, or eternal life, fullness of life, life in the kingdom, life in the reign of God, however you say it. That's what we all want, amen? That's what got you out of bed, amen? That's what keeps you coming to church and listening to a long-winded pastor, amen? No one laughed at that joke. <laughs> we want to be part of God's plan. That's what we want. We want to know that our life matters, that it means something, that we're contributing and investing in something that makes a difference, something that's real. We want to experience a transformed life. We want to be a part of the transformation of others. Amen? Okay, so this is, this is a start to getting us on the same page. We know what we're after. Not just thinking or hoping it, but we've stated, we claim it. We know it. So how do we experience life in the kingdom in this transformation? Well, we're going to read from Luke chapter 10 and hear what Jesus had to say when someone asked that question. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. So just love God, love your neighbor as yourself, do this and you will live. Peace be with you. Just kidding. We, uh, we heard Mark speak about this a few weeks ago, right? One way to approach this idea is love God, love your neighbor, don't be a Pharisee. In our reading this week, we come upon the author's definition, not, not the passage, but in the disciples' path. If you did your study, then you know you came across the author's definition of a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple, to follow in this way of Christ? And it's defined as disciples, a follower of Jesus whose life is centering on loving, uh, loving God and loving others. Sounds good, right? Let's break it down. So a disciple is, one, a follower of Jesus, two, whose life is centering, three, on loving God and loving others. So we're going to work through these three things today. Uh, so we'll start with the first one, a follower of Jesus. Bishop Trimble was here last week, and he talked about the difference between being a fan and being a follower. Being a follower means something. Uh, Jesus said to the disciples almost every time the first words that he said to them was, follow me. Yeah, not agree with me. Not buy my t-shirt and bracelet and, and whatever, wear it. Not sing the right songs and avoid the, the wrong songs about me. Not even worship me. He said, follow me. If you go to a college football game, I'm guessing at IU, you go as a fan, you got to wear the right colors, right? You certainly don't wear the wrong colors. You got to know the right song. You got to know when to cheer and when not to. You align with the other fans of your team, and you have banter, hopefully friendly, with the opposing fans. You may even say a prayer for your team's victory, right? And expect God to answer your prayer while the opposition prays the same prayer beside you. All the while, while this is happening, what goes on maybe in your living rooms, maybe in the stadium, uh, the actual players are on the field. They determine the outcome of the game, right? They're playing. They are investing their minds, their bodies, their souls, their spirits into the game at hand. They practice, something many of us don't ever see. They live strong discipline in all that they think and eat and do and sleep and they focus on what they've committed to do, and they show up every day. We see them on game day. They've been there for a few hours before we ever get there, right? They're following their plan. They're actively participating in the game in the way that fans don't. It can be fun to be a fan, right? Go, Jesus! Jesus invites us to follow, to get in the game, to be actively participating in the outcome of all that God is working to accomplish, to invest our entire beings, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, our time, our discipline. Following means active engagement. You cannot follow and sit still. Let me repeat that for, for everyone. You cannot follow and sit still. So understand a little bit of the history. In Jesus' day, committing to being a disciple Means, meant something then that maybe we kind of lose sight of now in our context. A young Jewish child, and let's, this is the way it was in their day, just the boys, okay? It's changed, but uh, then in Jesus' day, it would have been the boys, and by a very young age, I'm talking six, seven, eight, 
to memorize the whole Torah. Memorize it. We don't even like reading it, right? The first five books of the Bible. Who, who likes reading Leviticus? They have to memorize it. If they memorize it, by that age, they'll be invited to go ahead and memorize the rest of the scriptures. So Isaiah, Psalms. And then if they can do that by maybe the ripe age of 12, then they're invited to go pursue and find a rabbi. And so what they do is they find a rabbi that, whose yoke, which is, means their interpretation, the way they embody the scripture, their yoke resonates with them. And then the rabbi looks at this would-be disciple and, and decides whether that disciple could ever actually be everything that the rabbi is. Can this child do what I do, be what I am, know all that I know? And if so, the rabbi will say, follow me. And then your life is about learning from the rabbi, doing all they do, saying all they say, being all they are, going everywhere they go, as the adage goes, so that the dust of your rabbi covers you from head to toe, because you're right on their heels. You will not miss a thing. If they have to go to the restroom, you keep the dust and nothing else on you. You're right there with them. You commit everything to this new way of life. If they don't think you can do it, they'll say, go learn your father's trade. But if you follow... You invest everything, and you let the rabbi then work you along. So we're invited to follow, to become like Christ. If you follow, you are making a strong, lifelong commitment of everything you are to follow and be covered in that holy dust. You're leaving behind what was for what will be, and you're trusting your rabbi to reveal that to you as you are ready. No small words follow me. You can see why, as young men working their father's trade, when a rabbi comes along and says, follow me, they dropped everything and they went. The disciples, a follower of Jesus, whose life is centering. These words are important. Whose life is centering. It's not that life has been centered. Your life is centering. What makes United Methodists unique is our understanding of grace. It makes us very unique. The author of our series gives us a definition of grace. First part of that definition is this. Grace is the undeserved, unearned, unrepeatable gift of, of the God who loves us enough to meet us where we are, but loves us too much to not leave us there. The undeserved, unearned, unrepeatable gift of the God who loves us enough to meet us where we are, but loves us too much to leave us there. This gift of grace comes to every single person on the planet today. Amen? This is where United Methodists get a little out there, according to some. Everybody is receiving God's grace. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of everybody who walks this earth. Many people are not aware of this work. We know that there was work being done in our lives we're not aware of, yes? You think you're aware of everything God's up to? No. And so it stands to reason there are lots of people God is working in their lives they are just not aware. God loves everyone. Or as John says in chapter 3, verse 16, God loves the whole world. So I want to see who did their homework. You didn't know there'd be a quiz, did you? The grace that comes, there are three types, the grace that comes before we know it and before we respond to it, is called preventing, preparing, prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. A plus for Janet. 
God seeks, always, God seeks us out like a good shepherd, like a woman looking for coins, or like a parent looking to the horizon waiting for the child to return to go and embrace them. When we fully grasp God's love for us, for every one of us, for every one, it compels a reaction when you truly know. And I really think that if you're struggling in your faith, I think where it begins is do you know God's love for you? Because if you know God's love for you, you will find your way. We celebrate this inward response to this prevenient grace, this sudden awareness, this aha and realization that we need God. We celebrate it in the practice of baptism. This inward response is celebrated with an outward sign. And in this response to our need, we become correctly aligned with God. We call this type of grace justifying, justifying grace. We become correctly aligned. Okay, what that means is we become fully dependent upon God, which is the right way we should be at all times. We don't always do this. Sometimes we rely on ourselves. Sometimes we rely on things in the world, status, finances, politics. No longer in that moment of justifying, no longer are we our own God or is anything else our God other than God. We're not seeking anything else. We're not aimlessly in pursuit of whatever comes along in the wind and offers us happiness in the moment. No longer are we treating other people like objects for our own benefit. And I don't just mean in the way of physical or sexual objectification. I mean when you buy something at the store and you know that there are people making that that make almost nothing and live a terrible life to make sure that that thing in your hand stays a certain price. We're treating them as objects for our benefit. And in that moment, when we realize we depend upon God fully, we become cleansed in this unique way. And at that exact moment that we're justified, we also receive the Holy Spirit within our heart in this unique way as the type of grace that leads us onward for the rest of our lives called sanctifying grace. I heard that one in stereo. All right, sanctified grace. Sanctifying grace. Our life's been aligned, but we are far from being Christ-like. Can I get an amen? Remember, the goal is to become like Christ, to become like our rabbi. That's our goal. So the Holy Spirit leads us from within, starting with the heart. Methodists are very much about heart as much as we are head. On this path of sanctification, we spend the rest of our lives unlearning all the things we learned early in life about what is really important or who God really is or what we should depend upon. We spend the rest of our life unlearning that, to be taught to love like our rabbi, like Christ. We call this path of sanctification Christian perfection. We're chasing perfection. It's a process. Remember, you're not, a disciple is not someone who is centered or was centered. It's someone who is centering. The process to be made perfect in love. The process to be made like Christ about setting our minds in the right direction till we are perfectly, completely fully centered in the love of God in Christ. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ whose life is centering on loving God and loving others. Part two of that definition of grace says this, grace is the love of God at work within us to transform each of our lives into a unique expression 
of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ so that we become participants in God's transformation of the world. We are each a unique expression, a different instrument, a different note. We sound different. We look different. Some of us are weird. The goal is to be a disciple in every sense of the word and in every part of your life. That looks different for everybody. We're each called to be unique, and so we live it out differently, but we all follow the one conductor. Amen? We begin to embody grace and love when we stop trying to concentrate on what everyone else is playing, and we focus on what we have been called to play. What we are to do our part as faithfully as we know how and just trust that others will too. Trust in our part. When you concentrate on how everyone else lives on their disciples' path, we just end up tripping ourselves up, which ultimately hurts the whole group. I can attest to this as a French horn player. Grace is about trusting God to work within you in your unique way, not like anyone else, and trusting God to work within others in their unique way. Not one of us here can transform the world any more than a single instrument can produce a moving piece of music. Amen? We all need each other. As Methodists, we need all other denominations. They're playing differently, and that's okay. We don't worry about what they're playing. We worry about what we're playing. We celebrate them, encourage them, and we focus and make sure we're doing our part. As a congregation, we need other Methodist congregations. We don't all agree, amen? But we need them, and they need us. As individuals in this room, we don't all agree, do we? We play differently. Some of us are just plain weird. And if you're thinking, I don't know anybody that's weird, it's probably you. <laughs> I'm kidding. But as individuals, we need everyone else in this room, and they need you. We must do our part, and we must others to do theirs. If we can live into discipleship in this way of grace, there will be transformation. It's assured. Living into discipleship means being a follower of Jesus whose life is centering on loving God and loving others. And Jesus Christ leads us into that life with God, life eternal, into the kingdom, into the reign. Jesus leads us there. We only need to follow with everything we are and trust that that's enough. God loves us enough to meet us where we are. And God loves you too much to leave you there. So this path of discipleship is practiced in our tradition through prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness, and we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about these particular practices. But here and now, let me ask you this. Do you trust in God's grace in your life? Fully? Do you trust God's grace in others' lives? Fully? It's a little quieter on that one. Will you follow Jesus Christ right here and now and every moment after? Will you allow your life to begin centering on loving God and others in that process? Then welcome to the disciples' path. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. 
like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.